Irish Illustrated Insider is sponsored by VisitSouthBend.com. Is it time to check a Notre Dame home game off your bucket list? Has it been too long since you've soaked in the game day atmosphere in person? Whether it's for the first time ever or in a while, start planning your trip to South Bend to watch the Fighting Irish with ideas and inspiration at VisitSouthBend.com. This is Irish Illustrated Insider. Tim Priester, Tim O'Malley, Pete Sampson here back from Las Vegas where Notre Dame claimed a 28-20 victory over Brigham Young, BYU. is a good ball club, uh, but Notre Dame was the better team pretty much the whole night. They couldn't shake them because they struggled in the red zone, which is atypical of what Notre Dame did in the first four games. But, uh, guys, just your reflection on Notre Dame winning 28-20. That's three games in a row. Marcus Freeman evens his career record. To, he's at 500 now for the first time at three and three, and Notre Dame moves on with opportunities here coming up at home against Stanford and UNLV. Besides Michael Mayer and greatness personified, I want to bring up what Priester said while we were walking in. You know, in our instant analysis pregame, we should probably bring up Drew Pine since we didn't talk to him about him at all during the week or during our podcasts. And Drew Pine is clicking. And he continues to click. This was a better defense, not a great defense, but a much better defense than North Carolina. Um, he is what we're at two and a half really good games of football, at least two games of really good football and one game of winning football or half of winning football. And uh, I think Drew Pine is going to continue to click for the next two football games too. I, that the way they have found something in that offensive line and running game and, and Reese with Pine working together interested to watch the Syracuse games coming up because I think that's the next one that could present a problem and then obviously Clemson presents a problem to everybody because you can they can offset Notre Dame's offensive line I came out of Saturday very confident they'll be six and two going into Clemson which like from a reporter's point of view you want to cover games of like some national significance that game would be of national significance if Notre Dame was six and two Um, I'm Completely shocked and blown away by Drew Pine making plays, um, not just managing the game, not just throwing to open receivers that Reese schemes up, but throwing guys open. Uh, and that that is something that I don't think we saw Ian Book do a whole lot of. Um, didn't see Tyler Buckner in a very limited sample size, obviously. But um, yeah, Pine is just it. His performance is shocking to me. I just don't I don't know. I can't say enough positive things about the way that he has played um, relative to maybe what our expectations were of him when the season started. And then when he replaced Tyler Buckner um, defensively, I, I, I still have not moved off my Notre Dame secondary. Are they good position? Like I, I still can't figure it out. And we're five games into the season. I think they're mostly good, except when they give up a 53-yard play and a other than that 70-yard play. I yeah, I mean they're mostly good, but I do. It's funny you bring up Ian Book, Pete, because I mentioned it today. Well, first of all, since the four for nine start in his first start against Cal, uh, Drew Pine's completed 77 percent of his passes, and I and I brought up Book because a couple things struck me. Uh, when I got home late last night and started re-watching the game. Number, there are three things in three starts that Drew Pine does that Ian Book didn't over the course of his career at Notre Dame. Number one, he'll stand in there and take a hit, and he can be accurate even when he takes a hit. Number two, he's patient in the pocket, which Ian Book never was. And number three, um, 
if you give him time and he's had a lot of time to throw, he actually goes through his progressions. And he, if somebody's open, he will find him. And those are great assets to have. And he, I thought he really, he's gotten better every game. I, yeah. And I thought yeah. that he really showed he's poised. He's calm. You know, the whole scan offense that, that, uh, Jason Garrett talked about, and then I asked Marcus Freeman about today is working to their favor. There are various tempos, you know, normally when we say tempo, we mean fast, but I know that, that Tommy Reese and, and Marcus Freeman will look at this as tempo can be several different levels of speed and they're using it to their advantage, but Drew Pine, <laughs> Drew Pine's doing a great job. I don't know Pete that I'm like as shocked as you are, but I mean, to, you know, if I don't admit that there's some surprise there, then that's, yeah, I that mean, would, that like, would be, yeah, that would be disingenuous. You He's said done you, a hell of a job. Yeah. Cause it's like, I mean, what would you say? You thought he was a 50% passer. Well, I said, I thought that he would be my originally, I said, I thought he'd be a slightly more accurate thrower than Tyler Buckner. And that is, that's way off. He is. Yeah. And remember that I initially predicted Buckner in August that he'd be a 58 Right. 59% passer. Uh, and, and right now, Drew Pine's working at a 77% clip in the last, uh, since that four and nine start against Cal. He's on pace. Like his current quarterback rating and accuracy rating, both would be single season records at Notre Dame. Yeah. I mean, that's yeah. like, I mean, that's shocking. Not, that has to be shocked. That could only be shocking. If a guy, if a guy's open, he hits him, and he's, he's on time with everything. He gets rid of the football. He goes from, deciding to throw to releasing and now Buckner did that too. I, I remember using that expression with him, but he, when, when he's made up his mind, he gets rid of it. I think he's more decisive than Tyler Buckner was. Yep. Um, you know, I understand Marcus Freeman. He was asked today about, you know, in retrospect, would you still have started Tyler Buckner? And Marcus Freeman said exactly what he, what he should have said. And the only thing that he, that he could say, but um, I want, you know what? Marcus Freeman told exactly the truth. In August, Tommy Reese said, we were looking at our offense. We saw what Tyler Buckner was doing in a particular Agreed. scrimmage and said, this is what I want our offense to look like. Agreed. I Agreed. guarantee you they never looked at Drew Pine and said, this is what we want our offense to look like until <laughs> the North Carolina game. No, and I understand that completely because when you look at the two, just back in August or in the summer, uh, the summer or whatever, you look at that and say, who has the highest upside? Well, Tyler Buckner has... Appears to have the highest upside, largely due to his athleticism. Like, Pardon was me? Drew Pine, was Drew Pine even very good in practice when we've ever won? We've never come away from practice saying how great Drew Pine was. No, not great, but he was better in the red zone on day one. Yeah, but yeah, I, 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 I seem to remember people being very I, pissed at me pointing that out. Yeah, yeah I, you know. But we've I, also talked about how he gets swallowed up by the rush, and yep. he throws the ball directly to Maris Leofau, who looks like Lawrence Taylor. Right, he gets passes batted down, which is which is still an issue and will continue to happen, yeah. of course. But, I, you know, and, and, and I mean, he doesn't run very often. Remember somebody asked about, were you surprised that they didn't run more read option in the Cal game? Well, no, because – He's, he's, he's not a, he's not a fleet of foot runner, but when he does go, when he does yeah. run the one time it was a third and four and it was clutch, uh, you know, you certainly, there's an element of surprise when he does choose to, to tuck it and run. He is going to have uh, eight, <laughs> eight of the most important rushes of the season, probably for Notre Dame this year, over the next nine games, eight games. <laughs> and that he's going to have about 10 total runs and they're all going to be important because he's not going to do it when he absolutely doesn't need to do it. That's, 
he's gonna he's he did it against Carolina in crucial situation, and he did it against BYU. Yeah. It, the most important thing I think, Pete, you said there is this is that was his best game by far. North Carolina allowed him to throw passes to people. Drew Pine threw people open in this game where three times I said, what a throw. And Priester, of course, added, I mean, that was a pretty great catch, which it was. Right. But it was both. Mayor to make that catch. Right. It was both. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, think about the second touchdown pass to, to, to Mayer. Even the first one, he had a little, he had a bigger window there. The third but down, he threw, was even better. Like the third and 10 that he threw for 11, it was just in that little tiny yeah. window. I did not expect that from him. And the, 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 uh, the conversion, the 12 yard conversion pass to, to Thomas, he had to scan and scan and wait and be patient. And his patience, again, it helps because their old lines blocking like crazy, but his patience, you know, the whole, I've never really cared for the whole happy feet uh, phrase because a lot of time, you know, quarterbacks keeping his feet moving so that he's prepared when it is time to, when he triggers and, and throws, but he is he is a calm, patient guy back there. And you know, I thought Jason Garrett did a tremendous job of explaining scan offense and the things that are going through a quarterback's head and how Tommy Reese's offense is allowing Drew Pine to be patient. There's a lot going on Saturday, and Drew Pine was was really, really good. We could talk a lot about him. Let's go on to a couple other guys. Jaden Thomas. I wrote this in today's tale of the tape. I don't care if Jaden Thomas gets a pass uh, offensive pass interference call every every now and then be physical and attack the football and that's what he did on the 30-yard touchdown yeah that was a great catch I uh, I thought it was Holton stays because it just looked like a big dude out muscling someone else and I was secretly rooting for it because that was my pregame uh, pick to click but it was Jaden Thomas and that the big development I I said on postgame instant analysis to Priester I still think him finding a way to get open on that third down might be even a better sign because that means he's starting to understand some things, yep. knowledge of it. A lot yep. of receivers make one big play. You know, that, that was, it was good to see him kind of evolve from it. They only really need him to be like essentially a fifth receiver and in the sense of like mayor is a receiver, oh, yeah. two backs are receivers. Like, so if that is, if he's able to do that every now and again, like if Jaden Thomas finishes the year with, what like 300 yards receiving and four touchdowns or three touchdowns like I think that would be enough uh for for him to have a productive sophomore year in the context of how Notre Dame's offense is built and that'd be a positive sign moving forward too I really you know it from you know a mile above the stadium it's difficult to see everything and all the things that are going on in our head and the angles that we're looking for but I really 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 loved when I rewatched the game and saw just how physical and between the tackles oriented Logan Diggs was, he, he, he has to recognize, I mean, he is so good in open space that if he gets through that first wave, there are breakaway opportunities on the second level and the third level. So I was really, really excited for him and for Nordame's offense to see how physically he ran because only one time they go, there was only one run where he kicked it outside, but he was going to lose yardage on that play. And he outran the guy to the corner because as we knew BYU was susceptible to on the perimeter. So I, I, I was really, really, I didn't, Tim, I know you came away from North Carolina uh, really impressed with, with digs in the running game. I didn't feel that way this way. I definitely come out of it feeling like he took a major, major step to being a more consistent running back. 
He did. Yeah, I, I'm pretty sure I'm 100% with you on that. Like, I didn't see it at North Carolina enough to really change my mind. Uh, but I saw enough against BYU to change my mind on Logan Diggs. And then I think there's people, uh, yes, I mean, just ardent fans are upset with Chris Tyree that he didn't have a good game. And he did not have a good game. But I would expect Chris Tyree to bounce back and have a good game. I still yeah, he, had a ba- he had a bad game. He, he, I, don't, I mean, I don't think he's he healthy. He had a terrible game against Marshall. Now look at him. Yeah. Yeah, the only right. no, no doubt. rushing efficiency I, in the history of Pete Sampson, right? I, yeah. I don't, I don't think, yeah. I don't think you, okay. We did see Tyree. I, I, I wondered as I was rewatching the game, whether the TV version showed that, that, you know, he hurt his ankle, which it, which it did. I remember I saw it during the game, Tim, and I said, he's hurt, he's hurt, he's yeah, hurt. Yeah. And again, everybody has to remember we are a mile high up well, there. And so we don't, while, while everybody else is watching it on TV, there's a lot of stuff that, that we don't see, which is why there are snap judgments after the game. And then there's tail of the tape because you can't see everything from, from a stadium. Third down success, third nine, uh, 19 for 29 in the last two games, 11 for 16 Saturday, they start out 0 and two. So they were 11 for 14 on third down, which is phenomenal against anybody. You know, if that was it, it like, you do that against North Carolina. You don't think much of it. You do it against BYU, which I think is a pretty damn good, well-coached football team. Although I think there were some things that maybe defied how well-coached they were at times, but that's going to happen. Uh, but great, uh, great on third down, great fourth down stop when the game was on the line, pathetic red zone <laughs> touchdown <laughs> offense, which is why the overshot. While we were in Las Vegas of all Which places, is why I lost the, uh, why I lost the over bet in Vegas because Nord, I mean, that game should have been easily in the fifties and, and perhaps in the sixties. Chris Tyree, 8.5 yards. They're not easy. They're never easy. Um, <laughs> yeah. I would like to point out that some, I chart all the third down distances and we will get up into that on, uh, in our question and answered with the short yardage failures. Notre Dame from kind of medium, which is four to six yards. You could hand it off. You're probably passing it. The last two games, it's 12 out of 14. In wow. third, between four and six yards. 12 out of 14, including, I believe it was the last six. Yeah, six straight against Brigham Young. That, that's moving the chains because you are, if you're successful on first down, you should have a lot of third and four to third and six, right? It just bizarre. Is it not bizarre to you that they're third and short is actually worse than their third and medium <laughs> way worse it's way worse we have a question on that pete and uh i'm gonna talk about it in depth yeah it's very strange it's well i've got i've got something for it on that that i that i again didn't recognize until i saw the film and also we'll one get into that one. They, have been, they have been in third and ten three times in three games in the last three games that's it so they stay wow. completely out of that yeah that's fantastic hey before we before we finish segment one, uh, two things. One, I, we were at Circus Sports, which sponsored our podcast for about a month. And that place is, I've got I've got nothing to sell now. Notre Dame's not going to Vegas. <laughs> Circus Sports is, first of all, Vegas itself and everything is, is awesome. Um, the Cirque du Soleil Beatles love was amazing for me. But Circus Sports, the stadium swim is unbelievable. And so, I mean, this is a, I, I, I recommend everybody checking that place out. We thank them for sponsoring us for about a month. But the other thing I wanted to mention was Jacob Lacey. Um, I was on a plane when that was about to break. We, Irish Illustrated was aware of that in advance, uh, but the timing of everything and then trying to be 
uh, respective, respective of Lacey's uh, situation and wanting to announce it. But we knew earlier in the week that, that there was a strong possibility that, that was going to happen. And I, I, I called it the heartbreaking story of Jacob Lacey because Jacob Lacey did not want to stop playing football at Notre Dame, but he had to make a decision in his best interest uh, to preserve a year of eligibility moving forward. It was a bit of a double whammy because uh, that Howard Cross, the starter who he would have started for, was out. And I'm sure Jacob Lacey saw that and was not happy with the timing. But uh, it's interesting to me. Um, Two things can be true. Jacob Lacey felt he had to do that. And he's an informed graduate of Notre Dame that had enough both sides of the equation to make his decision. And two, it hurts the Notre Dame team uh, in the short term this year. Yeah, I... I guess like I haven't really dug into this, but like, was there any thought to him redshirting this year? Yes, but redshirting he is he has redshirted this year. That's why the time. No, I mean at like at Notre Dame, stay on the team, and then you start the next two years at Notre Dame. Um, I don't, I don't, I never heard that because I mean, obviously there was a a fairly high degree of disgruntlement that he was losing snaps to a bigger, younger player, and that bigger, younger player, Gabe Rubio holds the point of attack, but he's going to have to get out blocks better than he did uh, yeah. on Saturday. And in, in Chris Smith, same way. I mean, when that, that 28 yard touchdown run, uh, when, when Chris Smith has to move laterally for outside zone, that's, that's not a good match. Yeah. yeah so they, it's bad timing. Uh, Lacey obviously would have been heavily involved in this game and had he not decided to transfer yet, he probably wouldn't have because he would have started the game. Maybe he would have played. It's, it's really weird. It's the thin line for everything. Um, I, it's, since it's not an easy decision, you have to think starting a game and playing well and winning at BYU in Las Vegas would put you over the top to stay another year because then you still have another year. Yeah. That was always the strangest thing to me. He still has another year somewhere else. Maybe if you don't lose to Marshall, do you stay? What if Nordic is number nine? Yeah, no doubt That's about it. Question. it. We know it was a difficult decision and, and, uh, you know, all of, I don't know about you guys. I mean, I think it's the same. All of my interactions with Jacob Lacey, I mean, I really appreciate the kid and think that he's a Notre Dame guy. And, um, well, he played through a lot to start because yeah, he, did. Part, he did. They had nothing in 2019 and he, he right. And he was, he was hurt and they needed him and he, he was, in, he was injured. Couldn't have, he was injured. He yeah. was, he was injured and he played through it. And so like, if you're Jacob Lacey, yeah, you feel, you feel shortchanged. I, I, I get that. I get that. And uh, I think we all feel the same about him, uh, and we hope the best for him. Coming up, Burning Up the Board, segment two. Here's another Irish tale from Do Dublin at dodublin.ie. Have you ever felt uneasy signing a lease for a house or a car? You'll know a little how Arthur Guinness felt when in 1759 he signed a 9,000-year lease for the St. James Gate Brewery in Dublin. He was a shrewd businessman, of course, because over 250 years later, the annual payment remains just £45. Want to find out more? Be sure you do Dublin with Do Dublin Tours. This is Mike Brown, former Notre Dame leprechaun, here to share the Leprechaun's Game Day at Notre Dame, an officially licensed children's book that celebrates the magic of a football Saturday at Notre Dame. Follow me on an adventure from Step Off Under the Golden Dome to ND Stadium with this perfect gift for fighting Irish fans. Visit www.lepgameday.com and enter Irish to get your author signed copy today. Go Irish! 
Burning Up the Boards is brought to you by Game Day Your Way. Notre Dame football fans, make your trip to South Bend easy this fall with the help of Game Day Your Way. Services include tailgates, transportation, tickets, and more, making Game Day Your one-stop shop for Notre Dame football weekend. Learn more at gamedayyourway.com and use promo code IRISHPOD22 to save 10% on your tailgate package. Segment two, Burning Up the Boards. First question comes from Terry Benedict. Very timely after the Michael Mayer show. How does Tommy Reese scheme Michael Mayer open when everyone in the stadium knows where the ball is going? Uh, I, you know, I, that's something I was kind of looking at in this game because of, of course they were force feeding Michael Mayer even more than normal, but you know, I think there's a variety of things. They do that, the bunch stuff, the bunch sets with three guys. And when you put him in the back of that bunch, you can hide him a little bit. Um, you know, first and foremost, how's, how's he do it? Uh, Cause Michael Mayer just gets open. I mean, he gets open more. He, he gets open better than any wide receiver that Notre Dame has on, on the roster or plays even better than Lorenzo style. So that, that, that's part of it. And I, and I just think, I mean, uh, you know, I'm not sure everybody's going to agree with this, but uh, if you look at the variety that Tommy Reese's offense offers in terms of uh, personnel groupings and pre-snap alignments and post-snap uh, activity, I, I, there are a there is a large variety of things that they do with Michael Mayer, tucking him underneath people, having other receivers tuck underneath him. There's a lot to consider with Notre Dame's pass routes. And then Michael Mayer's just so so stinking talented that uh, that he finds ways. I mean, I think it's worth acknowledging that he's not open a lot of times, but he still yeah, makes exactly. Catch, you know, <laughs> exactly. it's like he doesn't need to be open in like the classic sense of the word. Um, so that's a big part of it. But I, you know, there was a kind of like a drag route for a touchdown at North Carolina where I was just like what the hell is North Carolina doing um, where like all the receivers ran vertically and then mayor cut back underneath going left that, that part of it, I don't understand um, like how a defense could blow that. Well, you but, can't use North, you can't use North Carolina yeah, defense as a barometer. Probably the problem but, is North Carolina. Yeah. Um, but it's like, I don't, I didn't think he was open a ton against BYU. They just threw him the ball and he, he went up and got it. Like that got back to what we were talking in the first segment. Pine threw him open, yes. especially on the two touchdowns, um, where Mayer even gave us that detailed golf analogy of it afterwards. So that's Which a lot of a, credit to Pine there too. That's a great analogy, wasn't it? Yeah. You say, you say one really iron. Use that one. I don't, I don't even know if there is a one iron. By the way, like yeah, there is. That was my no, only problem absolutely. with the analogy. No, like, there is a one iron. There is a one iron, but uh, yeah, I mean, I thought that was a great analogy because there are various levels of of passes and and with pine being as accurate as he was yeah he did he was able to to throw him open next from these are two questions in a row i'm gonna want to answer this first myself actually go fight win irish asks notre dame seems to be having trouble on third fourth and short yardage do they need to get more creative in play calling on those downs as opposed to continuing to run into the teeth of the defense on a related note dutter 25 asks to me it appears reese continues to run the same plays over and over again our opponents are seeing this in the film room. Third or fourth and short, it's run between left guard and tackle. Okay, well, uh, first of all, I want to say that the identity of this team is power football. You can't force something that they don't have. So you're you're going to run. You have a 230-pound running back. So, yes, you're going to choose that option more often than not. I get that. Now, if they were, you know, if they were running quarterback sneaks, that'd be a, that'd be a different thing. But, I mean, this is – 
This is the identity of 13 personnel. That's the identity of this offense. Secondly, if you don't really look at the plays, if you don't look at the fourth and one that failed in the red zone, then you don't understand that Matt Salerno was motioning across from, from right to left. Drew Pine was at the mesh point with Estime looking right at Salerno and his read is to pull it and throw it to Salerno because Lorenzo Styles is lined up left and he runs the cornerback off into the end zone. And the linebacker is late to Salerno. So that, that play was designed to throw the ball to Salerno for the easy pitch and catch touchdown, but Pine read it wrong, which was a rarity Saturday night, but that was a great design play and a poor decision by the quarterback. Very important point to make. They are not predictable because they on third and short and on fourth and short combined, Notre Dame passes twice as much as they run this season, twice as much. And they are twice as successful in doing so eight for 16 on third and fourth and short. That's one to three yards, three for eight on third and fourth and short running. Audric Estime, none. Zero conversions. He converted a third and four, which is not a typical running down. Eight for 16 passing. They pass twice as much. If you're scouting them to run up the middle, they're going to pass it on you twice as much as you get scouted. That's the actual number right now for people that think they're predictable. I was shocked. I'm shocked. Like I broke down the distances that they have not attempted a run on third and three all year, but they've thrown it nine times. It's no, it's they are, they are predictable. They throw it. Um, Yeah. And they get, and they get it. (laughs) And I would say like on the, on the creativity part, like I did not like the attempted tunnel screen on third and three at the goal line to mayor at all. They did that that already this year. And that, that I just like, I, that, that, that would be like, uh, a little too creative. Like there would be like, let's do less here. That play, that, yeah. Speaking of film, speaking of film review, that play set up an Audric Estime first down one yard touchdown run at Ohio state, a tunnel screen to Michael Mayer on third and four from the four and he gained three. So that mm-hmm. was on film. They went right back to it. Only- yeah. It looks like BYU watched that film. Well, yeah. they did. And, and the guy that made the play was the guy that I was talking about all week. Number 31, Max Tooley, who's a really good football player. Uh, him and, him and Ben Bywater are, are good football players. I think you can, I think you can, I think you can run at those guys, but if you try to do something, if you try to do something laterally, I'm not sure that the, the plate of mayor falls into that category, but he made a great, he made a great play. In Dutton's to Dutton's point. I do think they run <laughs> left and, and third and short when they run more than they run right, but they run left more than they run right because they like, right. They now, like that they left side Patterson at all. I mean, it's, you know, there's been years where Notre Dame only ran left. Um, the problem is they're three for eight. If they went, if they converted one more against BYU and kept that drive going and one more against, was it uh, North Carolina? If they convert, if they convert those, if Drew Pine gets his sneaker, if they hand off to Estime and he gets it, it's not as big of a deal. But Notre Dame passes on third and short. Notre Dame throws touchdown passes on third down and short. Two touchdown passes this year. Three if you count the one to Marshall. Three touchdown passes. So this, I mean, it just goes back to, we we have a tendency to recognize the things when they go wrong, but we don't yes. recognize them when they go well. Absolutely, but I mean to say that they're predictable. Did you, people know they pass twice as much as they run on third and short? Because I didn't. Teams, I didn't. How many teams do that? Yeah, yeah. I didn't. I didn't actually know it was that. Uh, and I think a, across the board, most people don't realize that either. Question from Kicker thirty three ninety nine: Why does Nordam continue to run safety blitzes when it never seems to work? Now we're on the right. Now we are on the uh, subscriber question side. 
this is tough, actually. We, we've talked about this, right? I mean, it's the notion isn't a bad idea, but Tim, explain it, because you were talking about this pre, pre-podcast. Like, the idea of a safety blitz is fine when everybody can do their job. Well, yeah, I mean, my, my you know, I, so what we're saying is we, we generally ag- agree with this question from the yeah. standpoint, from this standpoint, if you run it, and the other 10, well, not necessarily the other 10, but you see confusion on the part of the Notre Dame defense, then yes, it's, it's, it's a bad idea. I mean, it, it, if Jaden Mickey is going to react completely inappropriately to that situation. And I, and I thought, I, I mean, I love Marcus Freeman's comment about that today. He said, that's on us. That's on coaches. And I, and I, he's absolutely correct. If, and then you go to the player and, you know, if the player says, I didn't know what to do, then it's really on the coaching staff. So you go back and you ask and you figure out why, but uh, you know, it's like, even the, like the, the 20 yard run on third and 18, if you look at pre-snap, there's confusion as to who should be where and what we should be doing. And Clarence Lewis and DJ Brown, either one of them, both of them should have made the tackle on a extremely average running back Katoa number four. What, what, and they didn't, what did we say it looked like? Looked like they were t- deciding which one should catch the fly ball. You get him. No, you you tackle. Oh shoot. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, I this is a criticism that I, I mean, in in theory, in general, in theory, I I agree with from the standpoint that we're seeing confusion on the back end, and if there's confusion on the back end, then you haven't taught it well enough, and that's exactly what Marcus Freeman was saying. Yeah, it's I, if Tariq Bracy was in the game, I and it and they hit a big play, I would, I would feel differently about the play, even if it went exactly the same way, because I think you're, you're putting a lot of pressure on a very young player in a big spot that you didn't have to do at that moment. And, and in general, I'm sort of anti-safety blitz because I'd feel like they never get home. I think I'm anti, I'm anti-safety level safety blitz, right? Because they had brought, they had brought, that's really good English. They used Ramon Henderson as like a, linebacker levels he's a safety but would blitz yeah. on a in the box blitz. yeah that that's just because he's a safety doesn't make it a safety blitz when you're coming from that far and you have your reserve nickel freshman on multiple times yeah i mean you better days, have it come on you, you you better have an unimpeded path and and uh that was uh that was brandon joseph right yeah he yeah. didn't even i mean he got picked up he didn't even come close to it so i mean this, this is something that <laughs> that you could have seen something on film <laughs> hey, they might yeah. save the blitzes here. <laughs> it's, it's all over the film at this point. Right, right, right. So, yeah, okay, I mean, it's... we're talking about scheming against Reese. You, you don't think Nordy might run a safety blitz again in the next two games on third and thirteen? Like, it's hope not. It's a problem. <laughs> that is that's a that's an issue. Next from <laughs> Domingo. Yes, Domingo eleven. Does Nordy have a problem with size on the interior of the defensive line? BYU seems to have run at will, especially up the middle. Yeah, I mean that that's that's all that's all tied in back to Jacob Lacey, who couldn't, you know, hold weight. He was a 280 pounder. And he was, I mean, the, the really sad thing is he had such a great game against Kell and they got single yeah. digit snaps the next week, but it was a it was a matchup issue. But we knew this was a problem going into the season. I mean, hell, even even Jason Adamalola is some a little somewhat undersized, a little bit. Yeah, I mean, no, that, I that is, is, yeah. yeah, I mean that doesn't that doesn't really come into play, but and that's why Rubio's playing and and uh, you know they're trying to get some bigger bodies in there. That's why they need uh, Kana to come back because he's a legit three hundred pounder, 
we haven't asked about him. I wonder how close he still yeah, may be. A, he, yeah, he may be still. Yeah, he may be still a little ways away. But you know, that's that is that's a problem. I don't think there's any doubt about it. And then you know, there's a lot of commentary on the linebackers. Well, if you're getting an unimpeded path through the middle of the offensive line, you got to you've got to be a, a really really good linebacker to take on a running back with a full head of steam that can cut you know, can put his foot in the ground and break either way. And, and it, if you're getting beat, if you're getting gashed like that at the point of attack, it's going to be that much more difficult for your linebackers to make tackles in the open field. It, I would, I would advise anyone to go back and watch BYU's final touchdown um, and how Gabe Rubio was just blown off the ball into JD Bertrand um, that it, it washed out the second level of the defense, the way BYU was fired off the football. And that's like, I think Gabe Rubio has a lot of ability, but like that's more of a technical learning thing for him. Cause he is a big dude, like to get thrown backward like that. That's, that's why he's in there to not let that happen. Um, so it's got a ways, ways to go there. I did not, I did not see that exactly. I mean, I thought from watching Rubio over the course of the game, Tim, you'll let us know here soon how many snaps. Everybody got, oh, he got 23. Okay. I mean, I thought by and large, he, he did a pretty good job of holding the point of attack, but wasn't getting off blocks. And now, so Pete, you're bringing up one instance where he <coughs> didn't hold the point of attack. That was a disaster. They kind of got caught on their heels because the previous play Brooks had rushed for 15 yards. And I think they lined up pretty quickly and they're back at it. And, uh, you know, this defense is, this defense does a lot of good things. They do a lot of good things, but man, the breakdowns are awfully striking. Yeah, that's a strange, you know, we talked to Al Golden a couple of weeks ago and he made the point like, we're not where I want to be, but the number one thing, you hold teams to 20, you should win. They're holding everybody there. Uh, they're holding every team below their average passing. It's, they're not making any plays. Like they have, they're tied for last in interceptions and second for last, or maybe it's the other way around. Yeah, well, they have to be tied for last interceptions because they only have one. They're tied for last interceptions and second for last in passes defended. They, I know the secondary hasn't caused a fumble. I know that Notre Dame lost one of their fumbles forced this past game to a statistical change by the coaches. So there goes that. They're going to be last in fumbles forced too. It's a, uh, you know, solid defense is about stopping the other team. Great defense is about creating havoc for the other team. Right. Yeah, that's a good way of putting it. That is a good way of putting it. Uh, question from Wilmus One. Do you think Lorenzo Styles is not being targeted enough? I get that we have an all-world tight end in Mayer, but Styles is by far our best receiver and is getting two targets and 30 yards a game on a regular basis. <laughs> you know, I, I think the thing – I would like to see Lorenzo Styles get the ball more, obviously, because he can make plays, but they don't have a lot of plays in modern football other than for Michael Mayer here. <laughs> where you're like, let's make sure we get Lorenzo Styles the ball a couple times right here. It, it's just, that's not how it's read out. That's, I mean, you could have a play for Styles set up and then you go up to the line and that's the only thing they've taken away. And Tommy Reese does the scan offense and it's gone. Right. Yeah. I mean, we don't know how many plays are called for Lorenzo Styles or when he's the primary, but that's not, it's just not how it works. Boy, he made a, he made a hell of a snag on that 26 yarder. It looks Again, so pretty. Just yeah, plucked. it was. Yeah. And I mean, he just kind of plucked it. He just threw his hands down there and thump. That and, might've uh, been my, favorite pine throw of the game because it was like into a window where styles was not and then he just put it out there and let him run onto the ball like that was uh, yeah I, i'm with the valley i'd like to see more styles but he's not to the point where it, this isn't like 
They really need to get Michael Floyd more touches. Right. That's a good point. Because sometimes you're like, all right, we're being idiots. Let's use our best player. Quit scanning the field for stuff. Like yeah. Lorenzo Styles right now is two against Ohio State. Clearly could have used more. Nine against Marshall, five against Cal, six against North Carolina, and three against BYU. Um, they had 500 yards against BYU. And the only reason, I mean, unless you want to say Lorenzo Style should be targeted for touchdowns in the red zone, there's not a lot of complaints you can have about the BYU offense and how it went, right? That's where's Lor- I, If you target Brayden Lindsay in the end zone, I'll say you should target Lorenzo Styles in the red zone, not end zone, red zone. That would be my nitpick. Question from DL Kelt 01 Based on some of the linebacker play, why isn't Prince Colley seeing more action? He seems to make plays every time. He's given an opportunity to play. And I, I will set this up by um, saying that Marcus Freeman addressed this today about Prince Collie and what may be keep holding him back from getting more playing time. I actually asked this question of Coach Freeman today. Oh, yeah, you did ask, and I'm because, sorry. Tim. Yeah, because of, I think, Collie just flashed. Obviously, he made a really nice play. Um, and once again, we're going back to the I don't believe you're taking out Scotty Pippen theory, kind of, in this situation. <laughs> Um, Marcus Freeman said, I challenged him last week, Prince, you continue to build trust in practice. There is no such thing as a gamer is what Freeman said. Your team needs you to be a great practice player. That is your answer, whether you like it or not. So don't tweet yelling at us. Don't ask us again. If you're listening to this podcast, I mean, directed towards Marcus Freeman, because he also said, it, it was obvious that Kaiser played a good game. He had the safety and he was named defensive player, of the, the, the team, but he said Bertrand played well. Now he didn't, he wasn't just, that wasn't lip service. Cause he said that Leofow needs to play better. And it was not first. during my colleague question, which makes it relevant too. He wasn't right. defending that. That was right. Before. Right. Yeah. He, Marcus Freeman said that Bertrand, when he came in in the second half, of course he had to sit out the first half. He said he played well. So that's the head co- and, and again it wasn't coach speak because he was was more critical of Leofow. yeah right 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 so um i don't know what i really at this point i really don't know what to say i really don't know what to say and i don't i you know i don't have any reason to defend jd bertrand other than the coaching staff keeps running him out there and they think that he needs to be on the field so i, I will say this and i think you know we i, I think on the outset we have a tendency to look at he made this play, but we don't give any consideration to plays that somebody couldn't get to, unless it's somebody that you don't like, like Bertrand, and then you notice every one of them. So I know what I mean. Sure, Tim. That before I'm sorry to interrupt, Pete. And Tim, you're absolutely right. Well, if Tommy Reese makes a bad play call, and he'll make bad play calls, everybody right. does. But JD Bertrand, any senior that shouldn't be playing anymore because he's not a freshman anymore. Look, if Jaden Mickey was named Clarence Lewis our message board would explode during these games. Instead, he's just going to be good and he's young. Sorry, Pete, go ahead. <laughs> I was, so I was going to go back to how Marcus Freeman answered a question that I asked about Benjamin Morrison last week when he talked about, he was like, you know, I don't want to go on a tangent, but like when you go out and visit these high schools, you sort of like sort of see who plays see ball, get ball and who plays defense. Prince Collie playing from a sea ball, get ball high school. Um, And he knew that he was going to have to cook for a while before he played here. I think he's probably had to cook longer than he wants, but I mean, the the play that he made that we're all, we're like, Whoa, 
that was see ball, get ball. Like there wasn't a whole lot to read out there. Um, that was just like, wow, you're a superior athlete, which has very little to do with like calling a defense or getting everyone aligned. Um, so I think that's just, I think you got to be sensitive or at least cognizant of the plays Kali does make when we watch and we're like, Ooh, big play. Like, well, if it's just a pure athleticism play, that doesn't mean that you understand the entire defensive playbook. Question from Jim Booney, CRS. What is your grade on the linebacker core through five games? Highest for Kali and his eight snaps. I'll go with there. No, I liked, uh, yeah, I'm surprised, actually. I don't like lumping Jack Kaiser in this, and I don't just mean because he got the game MVP. I thought he's had a couple of good games. Um, I, I, didn't, I, I had Bertrand rated as the 28th player coming in, which felt a little low when he won the starting job <laughs> over Bo Power. But I'm surprised that Bertrand has struggled this much. Uh, I, I thought he would play fewer snaps. Part of that might be because of Bo Bauer, what we believe is injured. And then Leah Fow has been way below what I thought he would be, um, especially after playing well against North Carolina, that you should be able to carry that forward at this point. He's a very inexperienced senior, but you got to be able to carry it forward a little bit here that uh, it's a strange inconsistency. You know, he, he had the pressure on the first play of the game for the pick. Yes, he did. You know, yes, you know, start like that. It, it's just, I think Marcus Freeman is challenging him by saying he's got to play better. Um, I think J.D. Bertrand, I want to say this so people don't think we believe J.D. Bertrand's an All-American. I think J.D. Bertrand has to play way better in space. Get, get better teams against J.D. Bertrand, and it's going to look like it did when he was injured last year. Yeah, I think that teams know that if you get the Rams linebackers moving horizontally, you got you got them at a disadvantage. So that's like they're not going to get more athletic during the course of the season. I think they are who they are. I think Kaiser has played well. Um, I'm a Jack Kaiser supporter, I guess. Um, Leah Fow is, I thought was just going to be way better and it hasn't, hasn't clicked on for him. I don't really have a great reason. And it's like with Bertrand, like there was the option run that Hall ran that went for, I don't know, 15, 20 yards or something like that's just like, they got a better athlete in a better position than what Notre Dame had to throw at him there. That's not, it's not JD Bertrand's fault per se on that, that like he wasn't able to make that play at the line of scrimmage. But that is his grade. If you're grading the play, it's not JD Bertrand's not fast enough. He didn't get there. It's yeah, just a good matchup. Right. BYU created a good matchup. Yeah. And Bauer, I mean, Bauer made that big hit inside the five. Uh, But did we see how much did we see of him after that? Maybe he hurt, maybe he hurt himself further. (laughs) That's what (laughs) actually, that's kind of what I'm thinking. Now, again, I don't, I, I I don't keep, we all kind of keep, we all kind of keep our various stats and my, mine is not snaps and so i don't know at that he had point six snaps oh 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 wow okay he so he probably the, got he started the game too yeah so he probably got banged up on that that was a big collision that was a big collision he also gave a yeah. flash did you see that oh yeah, no i didn't see that, that. Yeah. but again like leah foul tim you, it's a personal foul or uh, you get a technical or something Tim, you mentioned Leofile against North Carolina, but again, that was in attack mode. You're right. And, oh, it's, yeah. and and that's when that's when he absolutely at, is at his best. And he then plays somebody else once in a while. I'm, that is I'm, what people are saying. I think. No, I get I get it. And I, you know, if so, the the answer. I mean, if if Kali practices better, they'll put him out there. Yeah, Benjamin Morrison or, practices well, obviously, because he's playing. Right. 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 So there was also a uh, Kaiser got caught in a in a in a read on um, 
Yeah, early first. Darren Hall, but right? yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, you know, I thought my first reaction was they know that Hall uh, might have a bit of a shoulder issue, and so he went for the pitch man instead, maybe thinking the Hall wasn't necessarily going to take it upfield, and he did. Uh, I don't know. There was no I, one to help Kaiser out there. Uh, no, exactly. He had, that was that was a choose and lose situation right there. No doubt about it. A uh, question from JP Wirt 70. How many times do you think we will hear Brandon Joseph's name called other than during a punt return so far this season? He's been a no show who forced the fumble. Well, technically nobody, cause nobody was taking it away from him, but Brandon Joseph, forced the fumble. <laughs> it's being removed by the way, from the stats. <laughs> well, I mean, it was Notre Dame didn't recover, but it was still yeah. for, I know DJ Brown was, there. it was kind of hard looking at the replay. I mean, I think it was Joseph. I mean, he did force a fumble. It forced a fumble Saturday, uh, but I think Joseph. I, I'm surprised Joseph hasn't made a couple more plays, right? I would agree. Yeah, especially the way he started out knocking Jack and Smith and Jigba out of the game. Yeah, no kidding. That, that is no a play. Kidding. Actually, that's that's as big as an interception. That's, no that's kidding. But you know, play. I was I was always the guy that um, Jalen with with Alohi Gilman. Jalen, help me. Jalen Elliott. Jalen Elliott. Uh, you know, I was always saying that. You know, because their last year it was like oh they're not making any plays well Norton was also like fifth in the country versus yards per pass attempt right and i interpreted that as that they're steering clear of some people too so you know i don't especially with a safety i don't know that i always equate it to how many plays he actually makes per se does that make right. any sense yeah, yeah. you're you're removing they prevent a play from being attempted. Right. Correct. Correct. So, and so like, I don't know that that's necessarily true, but analytically speaking, because I think as much as you can make fun of pro football focuses grades, uh, they do have stats that are official. Uh, he's been targeted seven times in five games. Very low. Has given up three catches, one in the last three games. The notable catch he gave up was a touchdown against Marshall. You're the third down touchdown. Yep. Yeah. Um, so he's only been play, targeted seven times. The longest play he's given up was 16 yards. That was against Marshall. He has given up seven total yards in the, he's given up seven total yards in all four other games, Ohio state, Cal, UNC, and BYU. So he's doing something. He has one pass breakup, no interceptions. That's what people remember. Um, I will honestly say, I thought he'd have a, a pick or two because yeah. he's, he's such a ball hawk. Uh, he's probably doing better than he's getting credit for. He is not making impact plays all over the field though. Right. That's you know, there's a really easy solution to the answer to questions like this about how, how guys are playing. We just need to approach the coaching staff and get their grades from each game. Can you, <laughs> I'll you, think we can, you think we can pull that off? That would not go under the um, guise <laughs> of not criticizing players if they hand us the grades, because there's some critiques. I would, I would just say that if uh, the question is like, Notre Dame safety play. What's up with player X? I wouldn't start with Brandon Joseph. <laughs> you make a valid point, Pete. Uh, no, that's like Alan that discusses that once in a while. Yeah. All right, we got a long question here from Denver, Denver Maximus. Was there a QB battle on the offseason, or was Tyler Buckner given the nod because of his supposed quote higher upside, and he gave Reese the ability to run the offense he wanted to run? There were times you guys brushed off the idea there was a QB battle and made it seem like it was never close and Pine was well behind Buckner. I started this one out, so go ahead, Pete, and I will chime in. Yeah, we brushed it off because it was being brushed off. <laughs> <laughs> well, 
Like that was just like by people that are in a position to brush it off. Yes. The brusher. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So there was, this is, I think that probably as surprising as it is to us, it's maybe even more surprising to people that get to see practices every day um, that saw every spring practice, every rep um, group. I mean, I think we often forget that players can get better during the season they rarely get this better, um, but that's what happened. There was there was not evidence happening in August that this was in the cards for Drew Pine. That's uh, you know this is a great time to bring this up for the last time. Ian Book was considered a starter by Chip Long over Brandon Wimbush when that season started. Brian Kelly said, "No, we need Wimbush to start against Michigan." It was genius by Brian Kelly. He's right because I, that would have been a very hard game for Wimbush to win the way we saw Wimbush. I mean, for Book to win. Yes. So yes. when by the time Book took over, even though it was always three and zero and taking over, it was coming, right? Yes, one hundred percent. That is accurate. They were three and zero. This wasn't coming, other than they were maybe if they were right. three, they coming. If, if they lost again with what Buckner, it might have been coming. But yeah, give credit to Drew Pine. Um, as I said, to start this podcast off, Tommy Reese said at one point, we looked out there, saw Tyler Buckner doing stuff in practice and said, this is what we all want our offense to look like. Does that mean upsides considered? I would certainly hope so. Because he's showing what he can do at his best. They had to coach better to get him out of his look. Tyler Buckner, this is, this is an unanswerable question. Pete and I talked about it walking out. If Tyler Buckner had an offensive line playing like this with three running backs, <laughs> they were playing this well. And everything was gelling. I think he would look better now. I'm not, if Tyler Buck also if Tyler Buckner comes back tomorrow, Drew Pine should start. And would. Well, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I you know at this point, Pine has to lose a job, and I don't I don't see that happening. Maybe Drew Pine's a gamer. No, there's no gamers. <laughs> nope, 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 nope. You were at the press conference too. No, and I and I having been in coaching, I I I generally agree with that. If you can't do it in practice, you're not going to do it in games. I think if you don't tell me Joe Montana, pros. I huh? exclude some pros from the situation, right? I mean, okay, like, all yeah. right, okay. Joe Montana is a Hall of Famer. I don't know for an absolute fact that he didn't practice well, but that was always that was always the story. Yeah, I bet he did too. Uh, but <laughs> Look, there is, but you understand where I'm coming from here. I think when when I say that, I mean there are some intangible qualities about Drew Pine. I mean the guy is the guy just absolutely believes that he's going to succeed. We used to say he talked a better game than he played, uh, and I actually it wasn't that long ago that somebody in the know said something very similar to that. So. Um, you know, but there are some, there clearly, there are some intangible qualities with Drew Pine, uh, that, that can help take his game to another level. And he's more accurate than we thought he would be. And he's, you know, I keep, I keep bringing up confidence. I even brought up with Pine after the game, but I think it's more about experience and the game slowing down, which is a real thing that happens to athletes. And I think that's happening to Drew Pine. And I, whether anybody wants to fulfill my question or not I do think that with Drew Pine there's a level of comfort for the offensive line and I can't believe that it's just total coincidence that the offense goes from sucking to being really good at the exact same time that Drew Pine took over as a starter not the exact well, same. not at the exact same not time the exact same time 
It took a whole – it was not a really good offense. The first half of Cal still happened. Even one quarter, half, one quarter and one series. One quarter and one series. Either. I mean, they were – It was well, a pretty was bad a, quarter and a pretty I, bad series. I believe I used the term nervous Nelly. He was a nervous yeah. Nelly when yeah, – he uh, was. People – and actually, that's not just our observation. We've been told by Notre Dame football players, Drew Pine was nervous in that. Yeah. <laughs> people get mad at us for saying, guys, people hated me when I said that they were wetting their pants in Miami. And then, of course, that phrase came directly from inside the locker room. We were wetting our pants in Miami. So I thought, you know, maybe you guys should calm down a little yeah, bit. Yeah, I mean, we make some stuff up, but not all of it. No, not all. We hear some things once in a while, especially this one. Irish we don't guy, make, wait, please, hold on. Please. We don't make, I don't, we don't make anything up. Let me just. We're wrong, we're wrong sometimes. How's that? We're wrong sometimes. Yeah. Like the Marshall game. We're wrong sometimes. <laughs> Irish guy, 82 82. Why do people expect perfection out of this squad? It's <laughs> a good question. It is a good question. And I thought, I thought about this. I thought about this on the way to the, the, uh, the press gathering of Marcus Freeman today. Well, first of all, of course, fans only look at one side, not the other. They don't, they don't respect the opponent. They don't give much consideration to the opponent. I also think that in many cases, they don't respect the game and the degree of difficulty that comes with it. And the expectation that your team should do better than the other team, while the expectation of fans on that side, it's the exact opposite. And that in every game, there's a winner and a loser. We didn't used to be. I like ties. Damn it. We used to have ties. We could say that. <laughs> but um, because I don't, I, I don't think, I think a lot of times there isn't enough credence given to the fact that playing this game and being successful is extremely difficult to do, particularly because the other team is trying to do the same darn thing. I would agree with all that. I think that um, the games being in HD and replays being so readily available probably doesn't help um, because you really can granularly pick apart everything very quickly. And it's not hard to find guys when they make mistakes. So we fixate on that. Heck, I mean, what have we talked about on the show? Quite a bit of like Notre Dame shortcomings um, coming off back-to-back impressive wins. So I, I don't know why people thought this squad would be perfect. I'm assuming there's some sarcasm in the question here. There are teams where that level of expectation is probably appropriate. Um, but this Notre Dame team sure is not one of them. Yeah, I, I think oftentimes the solution is take him out. Yes. And coaches don't, that's not in some instances, that's a, that's a solution or the next move to make. But if you took out players, every time they made a mistake, you'd run out of players. Yeah, there are, I mean, there's definitely instances where, taking a guy out is is your it, it's not usually the first option though that's the best part of the way to say well, it's, it. i mean it's what happened with benjamin morrison and clarence lewis right they're well, like well this other uh, guy's joe better alt. we're gonna play him instead joe alt right. getting in there it was i mean it was by injuries but joe alt or i guess andrew christoff andrew christoffic last year going in for zeke Carell. that was yep. a ooh, we gotta make a change that and that worked out but uh this is it's i mean it, it's the perfection thing yeah it's it's a great question because he was doing some tongue-in-cheek and a lot of fans are and analysts expect too much, right? We we analyze every play. Fans get mad at every little thing that happens, especially the offense and offensive coordinator. Because I go into my grave telling you that people think they can call plays 
on offense, but not on defense in football. It just seems like you can call plays. Why not hand the ball to estimate here? Why not throw here? Just do a play action pass. Don't go under, don't go under center there. Don't be in a shotgun on fourth and one. Why are we running pistol on fourth and one? Why would you give, I mean, there's so many things to say why. Because they worked in practice 50 times. That's probably why they ran yeah, it, right? <laughs> that's, that's exactly right. I feel like this podcast has been a marathon. Am I right, Jack? I'm going to wrap it up here with this question from Bourbon Pro 1973. After starting 0-2, Notre Dame could be on the cut. We have, have we mentioned Stanford? <laughs> Notre Dame plays Stanford this week. Not a Stanford practice. Did we just, like, the moral of the last question was we don't get enough credence to the opponents? Yeah, yeah no kidding. Uh, uh, okay, here's the Stanford thing. I think Notre Dame could rush for 300 yards this weekend. Bourbon Pro, 1973, after starting 0-2, Notre Dame could be on the cusp of six-win run leading up to Clemson. What's more likely, 10-2, and 9-3, or 7-5? and 9-3. I think nine and three as well. So eliminate nine and three. What's more likely? Okay. My first choice would be four and two because, you know, I'm in that phase. They're three and two. I You're think, allowed to look ahead. You're not. A I think, I think, they, right. I think they will win this weekend and be four and two, but I would say, yeah, I would say nine and three, but if you, you leave know, out eight th- and four for, yes, exactly. Yeah, make it difficult. Yeah, yeah. That's a good, that's why it's a good question. Well done. Yeah. So, yeah. okay, 10, 10 and 2 or 7 and 5? More likely. Ooh. Um, so they're underdogs twice. Well, no, they're not, actually, right? They're going to be. Right now that we've heard they're favored over Clemson. A bettable. Yeah, there's a lot of water under the bridge between now and then. But, but you can bet yeah. it now. So there's. There, you oh, okay. Fair enough. One yeah. Yeah. Or lost. yeah, I think uh, the one thing that I'm almost 100%. Nah, I shouldn't even say that. I think Nording will be four and two. We'll deal with the rest of this a little bit later. We'll be back. Uh, we are back on schedule, right? Back on schedule for a Thursday podcast when we will talk a whole bunch more about Nordane versus Stanford. Thanks for joining us. This has been Irish Illustrated Insider. <laughs>